Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this time of year, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've certainly noticed, you'll often hear people say season's greetings or happy holidays, something like that, trying to be respectful of various people who maybe aren't celebrating Christmas. However, the fact remains that according to at least the the Pew Research Center, that at least 90% of Americans do celebrate Christmas. But what's interesting about that is despite that high number of people who do celebrate Christmas, 90%, less than half, about 45%, say that they celebrate Christmas as primarily a religious holiday compared to like a cultural one or something like that. Now, I don't bring all this up to to spend any time lamenting about the commercialization of Christmas or how secular traditions have replaced religious ones or or anything like that. I'm actually not that interested in that discussion. For, For those who don't know about the true meaning of Christmas, why it is and has to be a religious holiday, well, then that's actually our job to share with others. Why would we expect a world that may not know about Jesus to know about Christmas. Rather, I bring all this up because it got me thinking about what our expectations of Christmas are. Those of us who do recognize the religious nature of this holy day. After all, I assume that because you are here this evening, you are one of those who knows the religious meaning of Christmas. You know that despite what anyone in the world might say and whatever the world might do, that there is something so fundamentally important going on here tonight that we must take time to recognize it. And yet even we, as Christians, can get so busy with all the things that surround Christmas, with all the things that don't necessarily have anything to do with the son being born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. I'm included as one who does that. I don't know about you, but this month of December has just seemed to fly by. It's filled with all sorts of activities, all sorts of things to do. And the Christmas season, which technically starts tonight and lasts until Epiphany, the next few days they're going to be packed as well. Now that's not to say that everything we do and everything we stay busy with is bad. Hopefully we're filling our time with with good things. It's a good thing to commemorate and celebrate with our family and with our church family the joyous nature of Christmas. But think about this. If you were to strip it all back, if you were to strip back all the cultural celebrations of Christmas that we grew up with, strip back all the meals, strip back all the family traditions, all the holiday shopping, everything else, if all that was gone and it was just us here tonight, you and me sitting in this church with nothing else going on in the world, with nothing else on our calendars, what would remain? What would be left? Well, if you're part of the 55% who say that Christmas is primarily a cultural celebration, then there is nothing left. Because for the world, as far as they know, that's all there is. Now, we know that we are here tonight because there is more to it than that. And in the absence of all the other activities going on, in the absence of all the other gifts that we may worry about giving, there would still remain, there would always remain, One gift that matters most of all. 
And 700 years before it was given, Isaiah talked about it. He wrote, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, God's promise of a son is the oldest promise in the Bible. It started all the way back with Adam and Eve and the promise of the offspring of Eve who would crush the serpent's head, though he himself would be bruised. And that promise continued through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, through Israel's history, through King David and King Solomon, all the way to Isaiah's time and and to the time of Israel's exile. The promise not only of a son, but of a savior, a savior from sin, a savior from death. And this promise was not given generically to somebody out there in the world somewhere. No, but as God says through Isaiah, it was given specifically to us. To us, a son is given. To us, a child is given. Which meant that this was being given to the people of Israel and given to God's people of all time. Do you know what God's people did after receiving that promise? Well, they did what we as human beings typically do. They got busy again. Specifically, they got busy as they fell back into their normal routines, fell back into their sinful ways, fell back into their lives, unfortunately set apart from God. They lost sight of that divine promise that God gave them. They did what was natural for sinful humans to do, which was to turn in on themselves, to focus in only on themselves, losing sight of God's precious promise to save. But thankfully, God does not forget. His memory is long and his love steadfast, even throughout many generations. And because of that, when the fullness of time came, an angel of the Lord appeared to some unsuspecting shepherds out in a field near the region of Bethlehem. You know, I don't know if we stop and consider how strange a detail of history that truly is, that the angels appeared to shepherds. Shepherds were not famous people. Being a shepherd was a hard job. They were rough around the edges kind of people. You had to be in order to deal with the difficulty and the danger of that work. But God in his wisdom chose shepherds to hear the angel say to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the angels went away from from them into heaven. The shepherds said, To one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Those are just a few verses from our gospel reading this evening, that that first Christmas, that description. But did you hear? Did you hear all the personal nouns loaded in that in that message? The angel said, I bring you 
Good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And the shepherds responded and said, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Again, the angels weren't announcing this gift generically to somebody out there in the world. No, looking directly at the shepherds, maybe the people you would least expect. The angel said unto you. The promise that God had made through Isaiah had now been fulfilled. The promise of a son. That gift had finally arrived, given to those who didn't deserve it, but to whom God graciously extended the gift anyway. And what this reminds us of tonight is that this gift is still being given by God through his grace. And it's not just for some people out there generically in the world. No, it is a gift being given to you. Jesus is a gift for you. It's a cliche, unfortunately, to say that the greatest gift ever given at Christmas is Jesus. But I'm going to say it anyway, because it's true. In fact, Jesus is the only gift. Again, if nothing else were occurring around, on or around Christmas, if all the world was oblivious that something important was going on here, if the world perhaps eventually lost interest in culturally celebrating Christmas, we would still be right here. We would still gather where we are right now. Because the fact remains, and it would be worthy of a celebration for all eternity, that Jesus, God's own Son, came for you, and for me, and for everyone. The only Son of the Father came because you and I are among those whom, as Isaiah says, we walked in darkness. We had ruined his perfect creation with our sin. And generation after our generation, we were blind in the darkness of our sin. The sun came because we were trapped in this cycle of death and destruction, and we were destined to be separated from the Father for all eternity. That is the righteous and fair judgment for all that we had done to rebel against God. But God was not content with letting that outcome stand. All of humanity, whom he had created to be with him forever, needed to be saved. And so as our epistle reading from Galatians tonight puts it, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Did you hear that? The son was sent so that you and I could be made sons of God. Now, that's an important term, son. It doesn't only mean child of God, although it does mean that. And it's not a gender thing, son versus daughter. No, it's a legal standing. You have to realize in biblical times, to be a son meant to have an important legal status. To be a son meant that you were the rightful and legal heir of everything that the Father has to give. And since you have been made a son of God by the one and only Son of the Father, you now share in, you have a legal claim to his inheritance. Everything that the Son earned and has subsequently given to you. The true and perfect son came as a gift 
from the Father. And Jesus, who is God in human flesh, offered himself as a sacrifice for your sins. He offered his life on the cross and rose again on the third day to show you that he, Jesus, has the authority to take away what you do deserve to inherit, which is death, and instead give you the inheritance you could never deserve on your own, but only receive by his grace. And that inheritance is eternal life. You have been adopted by God into his family in your baptism, and you have been given now the same title, the same position in the family that only the son deserves. As Galatians says, you are no longer a slave to sin, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, that's what we're truly celebrating this night. Christmas began the completion of a story arc that God was writing. He had Adam and Eve expect it. He had Isaiah foretell it. He had the angels announce it. He had Jesus fulfill it. And he has us, his church on earth, now proclaim it. Especially this night, proclaiming that the Son of God came at Christmas as a son given unto us so that we could be counted as legal heirs of God. So that we can now cry out to him, Abba, Father, so that we may always be certain of our inheritance, the inheritance of eternal life with him. That is the greatest Christmas gift. In fact, it is the only gift. And it has been given not just generically to somebody out there somewhere. No, it has been given directly to you. So that you may always be certain, should everything else surrounding Christmas be stripped away, that this gift always remains. That we may always proclaim the name of the Son, the one sent to us at Christmas, and the one given especially to us. Let us pray. O holy child of Bethlehem, Descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us. Our Lord, Emmanuel. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas. And now may the peace of the God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, the newborn King. Amen.